Good morning, everyone. Unfortunately, Epiphany was yesterday, and so we're already at the first Sunday after Epiphany, which means all the great readings and themes of uh, the Epiphany sort of get overshadowed by today, but it's okay. We're still going to try to weave some of the overall themes of Epiphany into today's sermon. About seven years ago, um, I was uh, preparing uh, to be baptized in a couple of weeks. And I asked a friend of mine who already was baptized, I said, how did you feel after being baptized? And I was uh, expecting him to describe the awesome spiritual experience of his rebirth in Christ. And he said, I felt kind of cold. Apparently, the air was chilly when he came up out of the water. Well, weeks later, my experience proved to be similar. I was baptized in a lake at a camp in Michigan uh, on a cool June morning. I know, Floridians have never heard the words cool and June placed together. But aside from feeling a bit chilly, I didn't have some kind of profound, emotional, spiritual experience in that moment, though I knew that my life had changed course in a major way. The topic of baptism raises a lot of questions, doesn't it? What exactly is happening in baptism? Do I get the Holy Spirit when I'm baptized? What if I was baptized as an infant? What happens then? What does baptism mean for my life? Well, in our reading today, uh, in the first Sunday after Epiphany, it was also called the uh, Feast of the Baptism of Our Lord, which was the uh, focus of our gospel in Mark this morning. And... Uh, I believe that if we look at and ask questions and explore the baptism of Jesus, we will find out a lot about baptism. Maybe all of our specific questions won't get answered, but we will find out some profound things about baptism. Because in a sense, what happens to Jesus in his baptism is very much what happens to us in our baptism. Now, at the baptism of Jesus in uh, Mark's gospel in chapter one, um, there's two major themes that, that two major things that really stick out of the text. And that's uh, the dove and the voice, the dove and the voice. Now, the dove Bible scholars have racked their brains uh, over what exactly the dove symbolizes and why it's a dove and what that means. But that actually isn't the point. Uh, the point is that birds hover over water. Like in Genesis 1, there's a reason we heard from that reading today. We heard a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. That's a bird-like image of the Spirit of God moving freely about. So Mark's making a connection with the dove descending on Jesus, a connection between bird and Spirit of God, right? It's symbolism. It's the outward sign of the Spirit of God descending upon Jesus and anointing him. He's showing us that at his baptism, Jesus is anointed and empowered by the Spirit as he is about to begin his public ministry among the people of the ancient world. We can say this, baptism is in some way connected to the work of God's Spirit in the life of the one who is baptized. Now, immediately after, we see the effects of this because um, if you read on, it says that the Spirit takes Jesus right out into the wilderness where he, of course, does battle with Satan victoriously, of course. So we see that the empowerment of the Spirit is on his life as he moves out into his public ministry, the first thing being his victory over temptation. Now, we have the dove, but we also have this voice. This voice from heaven that says, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Clearly, this is the voice of the Father speaking out that Jesus, here is, uh, that Jesus hears. And Mark is telling us this, make no mistake, this is the Son of God 
who shows us what a life that pleases the Father looks like. Now, just a sort of a side note. This is a proclamation of who Jesus already is because, you see, he's the eternal son. It's not that Jesus is now being made the, well-being, the well-pleasing son or that he's being adopted as God's son. That's an early church heresy. We won't go there. But that's the difference between Jesus' baptism and ours. In ours, we become something new, and that is sons and daughters of God. But Jesus is the eternal son, and this voice is a proclamation of his eternal sonship. He is a son by nature. We are made sons by grace. But enough theology for now. Let's move on. What does Jesus' baptism tell us? Jesus' baptism uh, tells us that baptism has to do with being empowered by God's Holy Spirit for life and ministry. And it tells us this also. Baptism has to do with becoming a son or daughter of God. So let's look at these for a second. Number one. Now, get ready for this. This is, this is amazing. The same spirit, this is the reason that Genesis 1 is in our readings today, the same spirit that hovers over the waters of creation at the dawn of creation is the same spirit that anoints and sends Jesus out in power is the same spirit that rests on us and sends us out into the world. That's amazing. That's a sermon in itself, and we could just stop right there today and just dwell on that for the rest of our time. But we'll say more about it in a minute. Number two is this, because we are baptized into Jesus, we come to share in his status as a child of God. Again, there's a sermon in itself, but we'll keep moving on anyway. When we're baptized with faith in Jesus Christ, God looks at us and says, you are my son, my daughter, the beloved with you, who I am well pleased. Why is that possible? Because you are being baptized into the one who lived a perfect, well-pleasing life on your behalf and died so that your sins could be completely washed away. That's why we call baptism a sacrament, because it is a means of grace. It is the way in which God conveys an inward and spiritual grace. What you see happening over Jesus in his baptism is very much like what happened to you in yours. Did you know that? You see, this whole thing is about union with Christ, union with Jesus. It means that God gives us everything that he gives Jesus. Now, of course, faith plays a huge role in all of this, right? We all know people who, uh, who were baptized maybe as children or something, and they say, yeah, 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 I'm baptized, I'm a Christian, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you look at their life and you're like, uh, I'm pretty sure you're a son or daughter of uh, someone else. But um, they don't show that they are living in the power of God's Spirit, right? And Jesus says, you will know the tree by the fruit it bears, right? Baptism must be united with a life of faithfulness. Right, which is why when infants are baptized, we have them come to confirmation at a certain age so that they can publicly confess and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to own this baptism as my own identity, and I'm going to follow him faithfully no matter what. Baptism and faith are two sides of the same coin. They can never be separated. They always go hand in hand. Now, what does this spirit-empowered life look like? What does a spirit-empowered life look like for the baptized? Well, there's a lot of popular talk in our day about spirituality, right? It's a big 
popular word. There's a fair amount of helpful guidance in the Christian tradition on what we call Christian spirituality. Uh, Lectio Divina and practices like the prayer of examine and things like these are very helpful um, for growing in Christ. If, actually, if you search on Amazon, I did it because I was curious, uh, for Christian spirituality, you get 343,242 results. So it's a sought-after thing, right? It's a popular topic. But there's a danger here. There's a danger because spirituality can become for us this um, kind of object that we seek to achieve or master. Remember, we're using that word spirituality as a noun. And we think if I attain this level of spirituality, then I'll really be holy, right? Then I'll really be pleasing to God. But spirituality in our day is often a rather shapeless and cloudy idea. A noun whose intended action is not always clear. But in the Bible... The work of the Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is not a noun. The Spirit, remember, is God, and God is more of a verb than a noun. As the medieval theologians tell us, God is pure act. So we have to differentiate between spirituality and the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, here's the difference. The Holy Spirit is always the work of God. The Holy Spirit is always the work of God. The prophet Joel, hundreds of years before Pentecost, prophesied this, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Note, humans don't have any agency here. We are merely the recipients of what God does when he sends his Holy Spirit. The Episcopal priest and uh, brilliant writer Fleming Rutledge writes this, You are not saved by your spirituality or by your anything else. You have been and you will be Saved by God. The Holy Spirit of God is your friend. The Holy Spirit is the love of God reaching out for you when you are too depressed or too angry or too tired to reach out. The Holy Spirit is the power of God to set you on your feet when you feel you cannot stand up. Forget your own spirituality. We are talking about God today. The force that created the universe yet comes to you personally and intimately with an everlasting and unconditional love whether you believe it or not. We heard from uh, the Acts of the Apostles a few minutes ago, and the Apostle Paul is wandering around in Ephesus, and uh, he finds a small group of disciples of Jesus. They're uh, followers of Jesus. They just so happen to be 12 in number. And he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, what the heck is the Holy Spirit? I've never even heard of one of those. Right? And then after they have this um, encounter with Paul and he baptizes them in the name of Jesus and he lays his hands on them and prays for him, it says they receive the Holy Spirit. And uh, their newfound intimacy with their Heavenly Father is manifest in very tangible ways. And they speak in other languages. They prophesy, which is to openly speak the truth of God's Word. We see the Spirit of God in and through them working in powerful ways. That's what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. It's a new level of intimacy with the Father in which He actually pulls you in as close as you can come as a son or a daughter. It's nothing to shy away from. But it does require a real surrender, a real vulnerability to the presence of God. Now, let's get practical. What does the work of the Holy Spirit look like in a child of God? Uh, With Scripture as our guide, I want to just make several claims about what the Spirit does in our lives. 
Number one, the Spirit leads us toward the truth. The Spirit leads us toward the truth. Jesus says to his disciples, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will say whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, in our relativistic age, when many people actually believe that truth is nothing more than whatever they feel it is, the Spirit of God gives his children the ability to discern between that which is actually false and that which is true. The Spirit leads us toward the truth. Number two, the Spirit enables us to resist sin and evil. This is an important part of the Christian life, brothers and sisters. We go beyond forgiveness to the life of of holiness. We all know from personal experience that when faced with temptation, we can feel, literally feel opposing forces pulling us in different directions, vying for our allegiance, right? Paul says this in Romans 8. If you live according to the flesh, that is, the powers that draw us towards sin, you will die, right? The wages of sin is death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Then he says this, for all who, let, who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You see the amazing connection between adoption as children and a spirit-empowered life? It's beautiful. Number three, the spirit enables us to pray even when we're not good at prayer. The spirit helps us in our weakness, Paul writes, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. Amen? We do not know how to pray as we ought, but that same spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, there's a whole bunch of Paul's theology wrapped in that statement, right? You could look at this and study it for for days on end. But here's what he's saying. When you have the Holy Spirit, it dwells in you. It actually prays in you. It is God's very spirit in you praying in a way that you aren't even aware of, praying back towards the Father. That's an amazing thing. Take comfort in that. Even though your prayers and my prayers are insufficient, the Holy Spirit of God is taking them and making them efficient. Now, here's a challenge based on this, uh, what Paul says here. Next time you go into prayer, uh, forget about your spirituality for a moment and surrender yourself to the Spirit of God that prays inside you, through you, and for you. That is comforting. Finally, number four, the Spirit reminds us that we are sons and daughters of a loving Father who share in the inheritance of Jesus himself. We share in the inheritance of Jesus himself. Paul again writes this, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Heirs, that is, we will inherit what Jesus has inherited as the beloved Son of God. Again, Paul writes in Galatians, because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir. It's been said that one of the greatest tragedies of the Christian life is that we forget who we are. Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God, do not forget who you are. Maybe today you have a lot of questions about the Holy Spirit. Maybe the sermon raised more questions than it answered. Uh, 
and whether or not, maybe you were wondering whether or not you're living in the Holy Spirit or you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's the good news. Wherever you are with all of this, God wants us to ask for the Holy Spirit. God wants his children to ask for the Holy Spirit. Whether you've never experienced that deep intimacy or maybe once you had it and you haven't known it in a really long time or you're not sure where you're at with all of it, listen to the words of Jesus to his disciples. If you, though you are sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God is looking for those who are looking for him. When we uh, partake in Eucharist uh, on a weekly basis, uh, it's a time of intimacy with Jesus. That is what it ultimately is. And every week he gives us this opportunity to be refreshed by partaking in his sacrifice of his body. And it reminds us that we are one with Jesus. So when you come up today, don't be afraid to ask him to give you his Holy Spirit, to pull you in close, to refresh you and to send you out through those big red doors, eager to serve him in the world. If you need to confess something, bring that to him too. The Spirit shines light on the dark places of our hearts, giving us the opportunity to be freed from burdens that he knows will crush us. I want to end with uh, just a few words. These are actually some of uh, King David's last recorded words in the second uh, book of Samuel. He says this. Now, these are the last words of David. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is upon my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. He is like the light of morning, like the sun rising on a cloudless morning. Let us pray. Father in heaven, that you would send nothing less than your own spirit to direct our lives as we follow your son, is telling of your delight in fellowship with us. Send us your spirit as you anointed your son at his baptism to be empowered for the work that you call us to do. Convict us of our sin. Console us in our grief. Heal us where our health is failing. And give us once again the joy of knowing we are your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.